0: Good evening everybody and welcome to tonight's broadcast. Hopefully you've all been having a wonderful bank holiday weekend. I've got something brilliant to bring you tonight, which is going to get you in that motivated place ready for this week coming. I've got a fantastic guest this evening who is the star of Channel 4's uh, show, Posh Porn. It ran for eight series, so he's been on the TV for a long time. So I'm sure you're going to recognize him and, and I think he's got some really, really interesting stories to tell us about tonight. And obviously, this being the Business Growth Secrets podcast, when I speak to James tonight, I'm going to talk to him about running his business, growing his business, his transition throughout the pandemic, the different things that he's done in terms of running his business. So it's going to be a really, really, really interesting business chat. So welcome, James. How you doing, buddy? You good? Yeah, I'm good, Adam. You okay? That's oh, super. Really looking forward to uh, chatting with you tonight. Okay. So it should be really, really interesting. We've got tons of viewers coming on and, and obviously a lot of them are going to recognize you from your, your TV show, which we were just having a good chat about prior. But really what I want to sort of kick off is about business and find out really from yourself where you started as to where you are now, and what that kind of journey has been like for you, you know, along the way.
1: Well, I mean, I've always been a little bit of a ducker and diver, wheeler and dealer, if you like, since I sort of left school, really. And the porn industry lends itself to that type of person, I think. Although it's not typically, those types are not typically in the industry. But I think some of my success may be put down to that type of, uh, uh, that part of my personality or my character, if you like. You know, I've done, since I left school, I've done all sorts of things. I've Sold double glazing. I've um, had import. I've been travelled around Asia. I've started import companies, bringing bits of furniture back. I've sold cars. I've dealt in classic cars. I refurbished properties. So, I mean, I built up quite a um, a, a stock of the rent of a rental portfolio um, pre the crash of 08. So I've sort of been involved in lots of different things, if you like. And the crash of 08 with the Lehman Brothers and everything that happened sort of around that time sort of inspired me of sort of that's where the idea of the pawnbroking thing came from really because i was quite fortunate i'd just come out of some development and had some money to spend and it was really well what could i do during this time it was quite bleak you know there wasn't really a lot of opportunities out there it's quite weird because it's i can see this we're in a sort of similar time frame now, really. It's, it's yeah. the there are going to there are going to be some opportunities in the coming years because we are in a similar situation, and I think that there'll be a lot of people who will be able to make a lot of money during these times. And I mean, for me, in 2008, I had some cash. I had some I was sitting around on some some cash. I was dealing in. I was doing a property development at the time. Just sold some fairly lumpy properties, local to where I am over in, uh, in Surrey. And it was really what could I do with that money? The banks couldn't even put it in the bank at the time because they were, you know, they were quite, it was quite worrying putting your money on deposit. So, and that's really where I started thinking about money lending and a secure way of lending money out. Really, it started off in my mind thinking about it really to friends and family or people that I knew that might need to borrow it. You know, I had people. Around me, that the banks were sort of pulling in their loans, um, yeah. not lend, not their overdrafts. And also, they were in sort yeah. of dire situation, really. And some of these guys were local to me and going back up to, we've got a place up around me called St. George's Hills. I don't know if you've heard of it. but yeah. nice. Right, so, you know, yeah. So, they were driving up back up to their four or five million pound houses. But really, they didn't, they were running out of money to put petrol in their cars. So, that's how dire it was for them. And really, that's where the idea of the pawnbroking thing came from. So it was, how can I lend the money? The money I've got out to people securely, and what skills would I have to secure my position? And then I was looking at the classic cars because that was my background. I had a friend who was an art dealer. I had family that understood wine, and I always had an interest in sort of blingy things. And it sort of (laughs) just evolved from there. To be quite honest with you. I, th- I think um, it's really important like, for a business owner. Well, uh,
0: obviously coming up with the idea and where we're going to go and the way this story goes is awesome. I love it, right? But for a business owner, that ability to be able to buy and sell really, really, what you, you've called it ducking and diving almost, but that really is one of the real key abilities for a business owner to be able to spot, spot opportunities, isn't it? You know, and people overlook that. They don't really
1: see the value in that sometimes. I think it's massive you know? I think it it is, and I think it's not always a thing you can, there's not a course you can go on and learn some of that stuff, especially in in the pawnbroking game, to be quite honest with you, where it's so diverse. I mean, if you want to learn about gemology or you want to understand a particular brand of watches, you can go and learn that stuff, and I take my hat off to the people that understand some of those assets, because there is a skill in that, but that's not my skill. It's It's what I do for a living, but those skills are not the skills that I have. So I employ people to look out for my position in that respect. And I've got some of the best people in the country um, mm-hmm. looking at those assets to make sure that every time we facilitate a loan or we buy something of value, we buy it at the right value. And also, um, we understand what we're buying. When we first started, we didn't have particularly all the skills around us we sort of winged it a little bit yeah, but I mean, you had some big mistakes yeah. earlier on no well, we did we were quite fortunate to be honest with you i mean we were probably very cautious in terms of you know what risks we took and i think just having that sort of business mind helped me if you like to take those precautions i wasn't um you know i was quite careful in my approach but yeah we took some risks and we did I can't say we didn't get our fingers burnt a couple of times, but I think it's a numbers game, isn't it? And if you're, it's a roller coaster ride, and if generally you're going in the right direction, you should, if you do your sums right, you should be okay. You can't run a business and say, I'm never going to lose any money. That's not going to happen. And if you do run it that way, you're probably not going to be very profitable because you're not taking any risk at all. Yeah, if you take out risk, you take
0: know. our opportunity. And, I love, you know, I think that, again, is something that people have to recognize. What was one of those, have you got like an early story of back in the day when someone came in with something really
1: strange, he was like, oh, my God, like how am I going to value this or something? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I think one, one of the interesting things about the business is we did see and we still see things that we don't fully understand. And when I sort of heard of some of the assets that were coming in, I mean, the fossilized whale vomit is one thing that <laughs> I thought. Well, I thought it was actually wind up. I thought one of the guys in the office was winding me up, but it's got a, it's got a value, and uh, just it's amazing, you know, some of the stuff that comes in, and you think I didn't actually know fossilized whale vomit existed until now. And that was one of the great things about it's the business. Well it. <laughs> Don't ask me, Adam. All I know is it's worth all I know is it's worth a few quid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the good things about the T V show as well, I think, because as it got aired more and more, people did bring these weird and wonderful objects into me. And if we didn't totally understand it, because of the T V show, because it was received by so many people and and they liked it, and people live in that industry, whether it was the au- auction houses, they were willing to help out. I think they saw the show, they, they knew it was positive, and we were able to call on a lot of people, whereas before yeah. we might not have been able to ask them to help out. So when we got some of these weird and wonderful objects, we picked up the phone, said, this is uh, James and Palm here. We've got this in. We don't understand it. Well, yes, we know about those. We see, you know, And that's how it works a lot of the time, which was great for us as a business because – we can't afford to have someone sitting in the office who's an expert in fossilised whale vomit, sitting there 20 minutes <laughs> a day waiting for a bit to come in. So, yeah, that, so that's quite handy. The metal horse, ask him. <laughs> the metal horse, yeah, the metal horse. I was, that was a, you know one of those little ones you've just got to, one of those things you've just got to have. You can't let it go. I don't know what it is. I mean, a horse and armour, you don't get offered them very often. So It was a full-size yeah. one as well. The guy—I remember—the guy came in. He had it made. He had it actually tailored to his own body. It was quite a thing. (laughs) And I was presenting it. And when I bought it, we did the deal. It was televised, so it was all on TV. When I did it, I thought, "Where the hell am I going to put this now? (laughs) We've got it. We've got it crammed in one of the shop fronts, but it looks great. It's amazing, actually." Because some people—we had a couple in not long ago from Australia who watched the show, made their way to Hatton Garden. And just want, they didn't really want to have their picture done with me. They wanted their picture done with the horse and armor. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sidelined. End up being a good deal with that metal horse or not? I don't know if it's a good deal because I've still got it. But to be quite honest with you, it's a bit, it's like, a, it is actually for sale on our online store, but I haven't had any takers for it. But <laughs> You know. So, the online store, we're going to talk about that as well. We're going to talk about how that's come about. And,
0: and obviously, we had a good chat. So, when we started this business and, and you went out, you started in 2008, you said you've been you know, pretty successful in your property pursuits and you saw an opportunity. Now, the reason like, I think this is super relevant and you, you already hit the nail on the head by talking about the relevance is there are some uncertain times around at the moment in the same way. I started my very first business in 2008. And when I started that business in 2008, I had pretty much everyone around me saying to me, "Like, oh, this is the worst time to ever start a business. You know, it's the worst, 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 worst time. But really, I benefited from that in a massive, massive way because it was hard and that kind of trained me. So when it got easy, right, I was like, oh my God, this is, it was easier than I thought because I was used to it being harder, right? Would you agree? Was
1: that kind of a little bit? Well, I think so, but I mean, it depends what you're doing as well. I mean there's no there's no doubt about it. There's gonna be a lot of emerging businesses and we've already seen it. All the companies that are evolving from the pandemic and what's you know, what's happened. There's been there's hundreds of thousands of new businesses evolving. Sure, there's gonna be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of businesses going to the wall, without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't and these schemes that the government have put have put in place are great, but really in a lot of respects they're kicking the, the can up the road, if you like. And it's all—it's going to happen. It's just a, a matter of when. And I think it's going to be tough times for a lot of people. But as you've said, a lot of people, there are people that make money in times of adversity. In fact, real money is not made on a level playing field. It's made in dips and upturns in the markets, the real money. You know, when you talk about real, real money, it's made in downturns or upturns in the market. Very rarely, it's much harder to make real money on a level playing f- pitch when the markets are level. When you started the business, process, you got it going, you came up with this idea, right,
0: to go and do it. It was difficult at first, wasn't it? And I think um from what I heard that you found it quite difficult in terms that you weren't inundated, but there were some certain things that you did to get this business going. And one of the things I teach our clients is about marketing, is about advertising, is about PR. And I think that you're such a good example of what you did to get a business, you know, you put the fuel in, didn't you? I always say, you know, if, if a business is an engine,
1: you know, marketing is the fuel that gets the engine going, right? If you can't tell people that you're there and you're able, and you've got those services available, then, you know, there's no, the business is not going to, it's just going to fail. You need to get your message out there. And that was one of the difficult things with what I was offering because it hadn't been done at that level before in the country. I mean, no one had been loaning money against. Hermes or Chanel handbags. No one had been loading money against boats or aeroplanes. No one had been loading money in the country really in any great volume against pieces of art. So we were telling we were trying to tell people that had money or had assets they'd built up in good times that they could come to a pawnbroker and borrow some money. Because they had they were sitting there in a lot of cases, as we were hearing, concerned about their situation, about their houses being repossessed, about their cars being repossessed, about their children's school fees. And what they didn't know is that they were sitting in front of a piece of art that might be worth 200 grand, and they yeah. could pop it yeah. down to one of our stores, or one of our stores at, at that time in Weybridge, and they could borrow money almost instantly against it. And if you're talking about short-term funding, it was cheaper than a bank to borrow that money yeah. for up to three months. I can't yeah. tell you that it was cheaper past three months, but if you wanted to borrow 100 or 200 grand off me, for less than three months, I can guarantee it'll be cheaper. That, but not in terms of the interest rate, because that's a red herring. I'm talking about yeah. the setup fees, the early redemption fees, the insurance policies, all the other stuff that goes with one of those loans. So when people became aware of what we were doing, it became—it was, you know, it was a, it was a snowball effect basically. But until that moment, until we got some publicity, and I'd say it was probably prior to the TV show, we were had a, a BBC World News down filming something that we were doing with uh, an important client. So we had a lot of very important assets with us, and they wanted to film some of what we were doing. So the BBC World News came down. I think they did a feature on us in things of Sunday Times. And this was all in the space of about three or four months. Prior to that, we were, you know, desperately trying to get our name out there. We were. I'd sent people out to put uh, leaflets on car windscreens. Oh, yeah. Coming back, telling me they've been chased out the car park by, by the attendant. You know, and I said, "Get yourself back out there. Get back in there. Go under the cover of darkness. Do whatever you have to do." But I mean, um, yeah, it's very difficult to find traction in the marketplace, and the, 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 and to, and to get and to have the exposure is very important. It's, it's the most important thing I would yeah. say. Because if people don't know what you do, your phones are not going to ring. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and
0: really, from what I understand, the PR was massive for you, you know, and there's a lot of businesses that don't embrace PR, isn't there? And, you know, certainly a smaller businesses that don't embrace PR in the right way. And, and it can be such a game changer. And, and like you said, especially where you've got a product that people don't understand. And the thing is, especially in an industry as well, where the industry is more of a something you don't speak about, type of industry, isn't it? You know, it's not something you usually kind of talk about. Pornbroking is not really like a big topic of something that you go out there and talk about. But you managed to take an industry and and build PR into it to get explosive growth, and I think that that was really, really interesting. You know, what was it like? Did, was it you were just at the time just trying everything you could? Were you just testing things? Or was it that you saw the response from this BBC? Uh, particular ad, and you thought, you know what, we need more of this. What was the...
1: Well, it was the BBC, BBC World News. So when we were aired on the BBC World News, I think that's the first TV thing we we did. And we were getting calls from Germany, France, people asking us if we were franchising, all sorts of interesting yeah. calls. So it did teach me a lesson. And when, the, you know, the opportunity of making a program for Channel 4 come along, of course, When we first heard about it, we were a bit skeptical. We didn't know if it was like a fly on the wall type documentary and expose, you know, the normal that you would think. And I think the industry as a whole were quite skeptical of it. In fact, it wasn't well received when the news sort of filtered down to, you know, the other people in the industry that we were making a TV show. We were new kids on the block. Some of these home brokers have been in the game for hundreds of years. They're family-run businesses. And then yeah. they had me coming along, secondhand car dealer who built some, you know, <laughs> who's built some houses coming along with knows nothing really about porn broken. And I'm within a few years, sort of for a couple of years, i starting to make TV shows about their industry. They didn't; it wasn't well received. But I think when it was aired and what it did to the industry, which has changed the public's perception about porn broken, I mean, really, you know, until then, it was sort of seen as a sort of Mackenziean type business, a bit CD. Um I mean, even if you looked at some of the websites and other my competitors or the closest to us in terms of the business structure at the time, it was a bit it was a bit flat to be quite honest with you. And we yeah, what we did yeah. is we sort of made it a little bit sexy, I think. And uh <laughs> we put it on C V, we showed it as it was. There's you know, you come in, you borrow, borrow some money, you leave. It's there's nothing there's a bank basically. Uh, without all the rigmarole or tying you up in knots or having you you know sitting on tender hooks for two months waiting for a reply, we can do it within twenty four hours, if not the same same day in some cases. And I think the industry when it got aired, you know when we went to the next annual meeting, we were getting you know we were it was well received. people were said their phones had started ringing. so not only had my phone, yeah, my yeah. phones were ringing off the walls, their phones were ringing as well. they were saying well we've never had so many calls. You know, they've seen the show. Oh, did you see the porn show? I've come in. I've seen what you guys do. And it was, and I heard it from a lot of people.
0: They actually did some good for the industry. You know, I can actually imagine that yeah. without doubt. Wow. So that's good, really, you know. And, and it is interesting that you, you're saying that you were new and you went in and you disrupted, you know. And I think that that's a, a really, really good thing. I think that my background is in uh, originally in the car industry. How much do you think that that trained you, James? What do you owe to the car industry, would you
1: say? <laughs> Well, I think that, you know, the buying and selling part of the cars is, you know, is, you can sort of turn that to a lot of other trades. It doesn't have to be cars. Just the art of sort of spotting something, going to have a quick look, working out what you can do with it, knowing where it's, what's involved in terms of the cost to – I mean, I deal in classic cars, so it's a bit different yeah I, mean, I don't know what, what arena you well, know, no, that, that, is. That,
0: is, that is different because classic cards again are that that, hot, that bit harder to value, aren't they? and you know you've got to look at the demand and, and, and different things and yeah, so I suppose that lends itself perfectly
1: to what you do now yeah you know? and I mean the classic cards are and the car part of the business is a big part of what we do now you know I wouldn't say it's, it's not even half of what we do, but it's 20 percent of what we do so there are some things that I've brought from my previous experience experiences. I mean, I used to import furniture from Bombay years ago. So just the buying and selling aspect of it, the cars, just general knowledge really I've picked up over the years in business has helped me immensely. And I think one of the things that I've learned, I mean, I've, I had an inkling about it, but definitely I, I think that, I mean, I really love the industry as well and really enjoy what I do. And I can't say that any two days are the same. And they're not. And I can't say that every day that I wake up, there's an amazing asset in my inbox because that's, that would be a fabrication. But every week there's something pretty special coming in, you know, or has arrived or something I've never experienced before. And it's quite a challenge at times to value it. And I think that's all part of what we do. And if we didn't do it, then we'd be like the other people in the game. That, and that isn't really, you know, that's not what I
0: want how much of your success would you put down to embracing those opportunities then? which has been a
1: massive thing. A hundred percent is about that, because if we'd have sat there, I could have opened a pawnbroker's dealt in bits of gold and some fob watches. It wouldn't have really been very inspiring to me. I probably wouldn't have had my heart and soul in it. I mean, it's really down to the fact that we're dealing in some sexy stuff and I'm enjoying it, to be quite honest with you. But that's the sort of guy I am. You know, if I'm not enjoying it, then, you know, I'll go and do something else. And, you know, I'm not worried about doing other things. I mean, I've still got a development company. We still we build houses. Uh, we're NHBC registered. So I'm not tied to this business. I do it because I really enjoy it. And yeah. we're expanding. Now we can see the opportunities that are coming in the, uh, you know, uh, coming in the, in the next few years uh, with the economic climate being the way it is. From your perspective and
0: the opportunities for entrepreneurs at the minute in terms of the economic perspective, I understand in your industry there, there, there is probably a massive opportunity, you know, without a doubt. But for general entrepreneurs, what would you say you, you would think is the opportunities
1: that are available right now? Well, I mean, I just think there's a lot of things coming out now, you know, things that have, have evolved around the pandemic uh, I mean, I get in things come through me in the inbox every day that are pandemic-related, whether it's COVID spray, all sorts of, you know, all sorts of stuff going on at the moment. There's firms, you know, there's solicitor's firms that have evolved, that are dealing with claims against, you know, wrongful dismissal of, all, of you know, around the pandemic. There's lots of things coming. There's lots of things happening. There's thousands of businesses opened up. And have evolved through this uh, situation, and I think that although we're going to see the high the high street suffering, all you've got to do is go down the high street and look at how many shops are boarded up or closed. And yeah. I mean, and don't forget, it's not going to get better soon. It's going to get worse. I mean, when this all the schemes come to an end, some of those businesses have been holding on, have only been holding on because of government funding, and I think that we're going to see a lot of closures and. But though they'll come back, it'll take time. It will take time. It might be, you know, it be, be years before the high street recovers. But those guys won't just go away and sit at home. There'll be other other yeah, things involved. Yeah,
0: and you've seen that, haven't you? With a lot of the, uh, you know, the big high street retailers buying online businesses as well. And your online you know, you were saying to me before we jumped on the call was about how your online sales had actually exploded. They'd been massive, you know, and, and a, a lot of interest and a lot of traffic for online. What's that been like? You know, how
1: have you viewed that? Well, I mean, yeah, so there's two parts to the business. There's an online shop, which is selling the secondhand goods and assets that we, not only that we, some of them we may have loaned against, but we buy and sell a lot of goods as well. So yeah. we've got an online yeah. store there and then we've got a pawnbroking Website as well, but the online store. I mean, when the pandemic first hit the beginning of last year, I always thought that well, you know, it's going to be dire for people. It's going to be dire fairly quickly. But actually, it hasn't been that way, really. To be, I'm not suggesting for a minute there aren't people that are under yeah, um, hard or or suffering right now because that that wouldn't be the case. But a lot of people that have, and particularly the people that are employed, not so much the self-employed people, but if you're a businessman and you've received some of the furlough grants, and your employers' employees are at home, and they've, in some cases, I mean, we were uh, some of our guys were often they were receiving eighty percent of their their income. Now, I don't know about all the other businesses, but let's just if they were receiving eighty percent of their businesses' income and they weren't going on holiday, weren't able to go to restaurants, weren't able to travel to work, buy lunch out, do all these things, I think that in a lot of cases, or in some cases, that they are financially probably better off right now. And I can tell you that I know that to be true because my loan book has gone down, which means that a lot of people have paid back the the debt that was owed. Now, I would never have seen that level of debt repayment had it not been for the pandemic. And that tells me that that I've seen it because they've got more money than they had before. So a yeah. third of my loan book has been wiped. So I'm not concerned about it because I know in the next six months it's coming back. Yeah. So, but yeah. but, but that's, uh, good to level out, isn't it? As well, you know, it's good to level it out
0: every now and then, and not, you know, you probably don't want to run it too high your loan book or too high all the time. I would imagine. Well, but, I
1: mean, it's nice that as a business if you're expanding, and which we are, we want a loan book that's growing. But I mean, I'm not c- concerned about the loan book going the other way. But it's an indicator that. Generally, there's a lot of people out there that through some of the government schemes have got more money than they may have had before. I'm not yeah. suggesting they're better off long term because they're not going to be 100%. There's going to be some hard times ahead. And if you're self-employed, it's probably been a lot harder for you than if you'd have been on the books as an employee. But I've got the original question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We go to a different question, but I think you, you answered it anyway in terms of what your
1: thoughts on the, you know, the, the online sales and how the online... Yeah. Grow. yeah, so the online, just in brief, I mean, the online sales have gone through the roof over the last, since the pandemic, basically, since people couldn't go out. Um, online sales, we've sold more in the last, since February last year, sold twice as many goods online as we had for the, done for the same period. And we're yeah. just starting to see, as it's funny enough, as it's open, as the shops are opening up, we're just starting to see it level off a bit. So not yeah. so much online. We're seeing some uh, decent sales through some of the stores. But, yeah, online sales went through the roof. And That wasn't just my business. I was talking to yeah. lots of other business people, and they were all saying exactly the same. They were having a, a bump a year. Um, online sales were – I think people were sitting at home. They were looking online more. Their habits had changed. Their habits had definitely changed. I mean, I was – I was looking online
0: at things yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, I yeah. would normally look at. But. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think i I've to ask you about handbags, right, because I think the ladies wouldn't be happy if I didn't, I don't think. You came up with this idea to loan against handbags, right? What was that like? You know, I always talk about innovation being a really important part of business as well and coming up with that innovation. And I actually was a friend of mine, a well-known person, and I saw her closet uh, full. I mean, full of handbags, and we're talking, I mean, like a hundred of them at least. And yeah. the amount of money that is in these, that's been invested in them is crazy, isn't it? You know, and, and was that really an explosive area for you in terms of, and was it an unusual thing to, obviously, was it the having a lot of women coming into Hornbockers? Because that might not have been your demographic originally, right? Perhaps, so I don't know. Oh, no, sure.
1: you're right, actually. You're mm. right, Funny enough. The women uh, early days yeah didn't really come in that very that, that, that often, to be honest with you. And I think the handbags, we had someone come in and they brought a collection of Chanel's in. There was mm. an elderly lady and she brought these Chanel's in. They were in beautiful condition. And we were sort of looking around online thinking, well, what, what are we going to do? And there was no one in the market offering to buy these bags at that time. We're talking mm. about 2009. There was not a market in the UK for second-hand luxury handbags. So yeah. I was thinking, well, these bags are beautiful. Some of them are classics. You know, I didn't even know that point. I just yeah. knew that yeah. they, were, <laughs> they were Chanel's. I didn't know, you know, <laughs> since then I've learned all about that, that brand and, and yeah. what it means and how much each, you know, and what the most sought-after bags are. I mean, we've seen so many of them that we sort of, it sinks in after a while. But, I mean, the thing is, with, there was no market for these objects at that time. And they were bringing them in, so we were buying them, but we were thinking, well, what what are we going to do with them? You know, where, where are we? And we started contacting the auction houses, and they weren't really that interested in them at the time. They said, well, yeah, we know they're expensive new, but there isn't really a market for it. So we started to – the press came down, and we did an article. We said, well, they put a question to me. They said, what do you do that's specifically aimed at women? And I thought, well, I'm going to talk about the bags. I said, well, we deal in, we dealing in bags. And I said, well, we don't really deal in bags. <laughs> We've got some bags here that we don't know what to do with, but we don't really deal in bags. Anyway, that article got put, I won't mention the publication, but it's a very well-known Sunday paper. And they came down, they took some images of me at my desk, I piled up some handbags, and we, we told them about the people that had been coming in with these bags. And anyway, that was it because we had so we had people phoning me up asking me if i had any for sale we had people with collections wanting to, women had some of these bags in their closets they'd been sitting there for 10 15 20 years didn't know what to do with them but so we were yeah. buying them and was instantly overnight we had a market for them so it was great and i mean that really did fuel in this country that market to be honest with you because it didn't really exist and when that got aired, and when they started to promote that, I mean, we did a few articles since then um, from that original press article. There was about two or three other articles that we did. We did one in U magazine, and that was quite big for us, and it featured the bags. But when they started to televise it a few years later, that's when it really went crazy. And then you saw a lot of these other companies sort of spring up overnight, really, and they became our competitors, and they... Some of them only deal in bags. You know, there are people out there that are marketing at, at specifically at that market. And I still think well, we're very strong in that in that field and we're the best people to go and sell so you. If you want an instant decision on your handbag and you've got a Crocodile Hermes that's worth 30 grand or a Chanel that's worth 500 quid, I still think we're the best buyers in the country at the moment. But it's a thousand feels- pound games for a Crocodile Hermes. Well, we have bought. I mean, we bought. Um, wow. Yeah, we've got. Uh, well, the, what's the. Uh, we had a Hermes bag in not so long ago. It's, it's actually owned by a very famous person right now. So I can't say too much, but it's one of only 10. It's solid silver. It's a little Hermes Kelly bag. When I heard about it, it came into my store in Chelsea. And when I heard about it, I said, solid silver handbag. I said, I never. I didn't even know Hermes did a solid silver. I said, well, it's only one of 10. It was made. I think it was made in the. 80s or 90s they made 10 pieces and i think we sold it for about 60 grand wow unbelievable unbelievable yeah one of 10 but we do see some r- really unusual and weird and exotic items and that's because i think it's the our ability to value them and to put our sort of our asses on the line in respect of uh, actually laying out some money for these things because that bag for example we couldn't really because there was only 10 ever made and only one had ever come up for sale, I think it was about 10 years ago, in Hong Kong, it was very difficult for us to value that, and we had to take a bit of a punt. I mean, we did very well out of it, but it's a sort of perfect example, and the rarer the item, the more difficult it is. If you've got a a row of 1985, 2005 BMW Z3s, and they've all done roughly the same sort of mileage, you can sort of roughly know how much that car's worth if you've got one handbag that's only been ten pieces made and only one has ever been sold ten years ago in Hong Kong, it's quite a difficult thing to value. And you've sort of got to, you've got to uh, wing it a little bit to a certain degree. And that's I think I think that's what we pride ourselves in. And the guys in the in the stores love that aspect of the business because yeah, they're not robots. Yeah. They're not robots, and that's what I like about what we do. We I think you're it sounds like a very entrepreneurial
0: culture and from what you're doing in terms of making decisions taking risks and taking opportunities and i think that that's massive and i think that's something definitely to be admired i think from my perspective there's a question a personal question I want to ask not a personal question but what's the, what's the, what kind of watches you're adding I love watches so <laughs> and I'm well, sure there's you know
1: What do I have, personally? What's the most expensive one you've had through, or something like that, or the coolest one? Do you know what? It's really weird, because watches aren't really my thing. But we've seen some, yeah, I mean, some vintage Rolexes. There was one a couple of weeks ago, a vintage Rolex. I mean, it looked like, to to be quite honest with you, it was battered. It was the the one in the James Bond movie, the same model. I don't know why it was so expensive but it had a leather strap on it. It looked like it'd been through the walls to be quite honest with you. But a guy had found it, it was belonged to his grandfather and he brought it in and we sold that watch I think for sixty grand.
0: Nice. I mean that's nice. just
1: I mean we've had more expensive watches, yeah, but that yeah. watch but that one was particularly interesting. And it was really weird because I mean I, I, I'm not into watches to be to be honest with you. But that watch it looked like a lot of other Rolexes, yeah. and, and, but there was some very minute details about the hands and the colour, I think it was red on one of the dials that made that particular watch, the difference between a five-gram watch and a 60-gram watch. And if you didn't know your stuff, you could easily let that slip. And it just so happens that we've got a couple of guys in the office that spotted it and we were able to do a deal. So, yeah, little things like that. But, yeah, that's a... Something that springs to mind, but you know, you can we've had watches in that have been worth four or five hundred grand. But that was particularly nice because of the story associated with it. it yeah, found it. his granddad, his granddad had had it from the sort of 60s. And- I, I think it's really fascinating, those
0: programs. I think it is fascinating TV, even on some of the other. I mean, it's very different. But when someone brings in an item and you're valuing that item and you're just like, and there's some some obscure reason that makes it valued as so much more. I th- and I think it, it is about staying sharp, isn't it, for sure. So we've got a couple of uh, last questions in from the audience. But I think that, you know, what we've been saying tonight, which I think all about the entrepreneurial spirit, taking opportunities, doing things differently, using innovation, not being afraid to take opportunities opportunities, promoting that entrepreneurship throughout your business and throughout your culture, and not being afraid to try new things. And I think all of that is really entrepreneurial, something to be admired. I've got a couple of uh, questions that have been asked in the comments. We'll do these quick fire, uh, James, tonight. So, Helen saying, did you approach
1: the papers or did they approach you? Um, was one of the questions that we had him. No, they approached us. They contacted the organization and you know the National Pawnbrokers Association. And I think they ask the question, if they say to the organization, we want to speak to an average pawnbroker uh, about some gold, they'll probably go and see someone, someone else or a pawnbroker about buying and selling gold. They might go and see someone else in the high street if they wanted to I think that they, if they want to cover a story that's regarding art or cars or a high-end asset loan, then they'll probably come to me because there's not many people doing it in that arena. So, yeah. And the last question that I think I asked tonight, which I think is really interesting,
0: how important has it been building your personal brand for you? You know, what would you say to entrepreneurs? There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. We train thousands of businesses. And that building of a personal brand really, and and your story, one of the things that I've said for a long time is that when you build that personal brand, you become the honey and the bees come to you, right? And that's exactly what you're saying. People picking up the phone to you because you've been on TV, because you've done things differently. You become known for that skill set where a lot of entrepreneurs don't attract opportunities or are not attracting the opportunities because they haven't built that personal brand. How important would you say it's been for you to go about building that? And has it been – unexpected in some ways the kind of
1: results that you had from it i think it's really important i mean if you get the opportunity to expose your business and you have become respected in your field it does open doors for you and it's not only about what you're doing currently it's about anything you might do in the future you know i don't particularly go around saying oh i'm james and because that's not in my makeup but if someone realizes yeah. it or says oh i recognize you for the it does hundred percent open doors for you, and people trust you and what you do. If you if you have run a reputable business and you've um, conducted your business honourably, then hundred percent your opportunities will be far greater with that sort of exposure than if you didn't. Yeah, yeah. so some
0: some amazing kind of advice and tips there, James. Just to finish up, you have got a couple of quick tips you want to give the listeners tonight any kind of last little tips you've given how they can get prepared
1: for the coming months well I mean just look out for the opportunities that are coming up and uh, I've said it before but uh, your desire for gain must be greater than your fear of loss if you want to succeed there's there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there Um, and don't be afraid to
0: try them thanks so much for coming on tonight James you've been awesome buddy I've really really enjoyed it hey everybody Adam here And I hope you loved today's episode. I hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive